0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Voice Tech Series, a special edition of the Nonprofit Voice Podcast, hosted by Mark Becker, founding partner of Cathexas Partners and editorial advisory board member of Nonprofit Pro. In each episode of this monthly installment, Mark will have conversations with prominent nonprofit organizations and industry thought leaders to learn more about different technology offerings in the marketplace. Join us, and together we will learn more about these innovative digital tools and how to navigate the rapidly evolving technology landscape.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Mark Becker here, founding partner of Cathexis Partners. Um, today, I'm joined by Beth Fisher. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Beth. Would love to hear. You know, looking forward to our conversation. Love to hear about your background um, and what you're doing now. At you know. CEO of Fisher Strategic but also the Chief Advancement Officer at Mel Trotter Ministries so you've got a lot of plates spinning you also have a podcast doing a lot of teaching and consulting so yeah I would love to hear uh, about your background if you could share that with the folks out there and kind of go from there
2: yeah of course yeah thank you for having me Mark I am always excited to talk I think I shared with you before where there are people and words you will find me so um (laughs) Yes, I, it's been an interesting journey, as I know we all have one. And um, I now am the Chief Advancement Officer for Mel Trotter Ministries. We are a faith-based homeless shelter in West Michigan. Are uh, demonstrating the compassion of Christ. That's basically our um, our mission statement. You know, to folks who are experiencing hunger and homelessness. And yet, I never expected to be here. I volunteered here for three years while I was concluding a 25-year corporate sales. Gig, you know, that I had. I just, I've always loved sales and marketing and people and business process. And so I did that for many, many years. And it just became apparent as I continued on in my journey. I took a sabbatical to write a book and I was at a leadership conference and they said, You know how to raise money, don't you? And I said, Sure, how can I help? I thought it was another volunteer experience. And she said, Send me a resume. She being the VP of HR. So that is how I came on staff. Uh, Did a giant career change uh, in January of 2020. So, no better time. And yeah, I find myself here. Um, But you know, what's interesting is everything connects. And so, I know that for folks who are new in their career space or just starting out, I have a daughter who's almost 26, and she'll say, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And all the questions about corporate and culture. And I said, You know, when you're in it, it's hard to see. But everything there, you know, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for what you're learning, what you're engaged in, what your passions are. Um, and mine, again, I've just always been helping people in the world to know that they have mattering and value and worth. I do it frequently inside of corporations, just because for me, I, I love nothing more than people feeling a sense of worth and contribution on a part of a team. So I do a lot of personal and professional development coaching. Um, yeah. So the Fisher strategic is my LLC and I um, do coaching primarily for women in, in the career space. Um, and I have a program called Change Your Tone that's getting ready to launch uh, actually in about six weeks. So just really mm. love helping people to say, how can I use my voice to make a difference, whether it's on a, a small team, a large team, day to day. Right. It's all, again, interconnected. So nice. that's sort of a, a whirlwind tour of five decades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, yeah. So you have an interesting perspective then um, and background uh, in technology and and sales and the, from the corporate space, and coming into the nonprofit space, um, you know how eye-opening was that, you know, uh, and what you were seeing and what people were using.
2: Oh, very much so. Yeah, my um twenty five years, I was selling content management software and business process consulting, outsourcing, et cetera. So sort of organizationally agnostic. I would go into companies of all shapes and sizes throughout my career and say, talk to me about how you're processing invoices on the AP side of the house. Talk to me about your HRIS system. Tell me about how you were actually spending your days, often doing what a lot of folks will consider mundane work. And I am sort of, well, not sort of, I'm a high DI on the disc. I'm a big visionary. I'm like, well, but this is all interconnected, right? So if one person on the team doesn't like their job, then there's a downstream effect. There's a problem there. And as I learned more and more that commonalities exist. There's always more unity than I feel Mm -hmm. divisiveness, both in the world and in the workplace. And as I continue to sort of just dive into organizations and say, what is it that you like? What do you not like? It's really all about autonomy, how we spend our days, um, again, doing things that we like. And so that software foundation that I had, technology, et cetera, served me well. Yes. When I came to Mel Trotter Ministries, I I got here in about four hours, maybe, I I had decided that I was going to rip out the CRM that had been here for 17 years. I knew enough to know that it would take some time to sort of um, build trust among the team that I had inherited and corporate culture, et cetera. So I knew that wasn't going to happen on day one. But technology was something I knew about. And I said, hey, if our job here in the advancement department is to raise money, and it is, we need tools to do that. Because I would just basically take my past questioning years of you know business process and I, I said to the team how do you know what donors to do anything with to call on to invite on a tour etc like how do you know what's your strategy And mm-hmm. there, wasn't, there wasn't one mm-hmm. it, and I was baffled by that I also had a moment of crisis where I thought did I just make the world's worst career career change on the <laughs> I mean no right my heart is very much uh, here and what we do here at Mel Trotter Ministries but for a second I thought wow This is every single thing that I've been trying to change across organizations for such a long time. And it was right there in front of me. And yet what's so interesting, we laugh about it now, three years later. But I remember specifically our president and CEO, I walked into his office, literally day one. I thought I'm probably going to get fired, but that's okay. Um, I said, I I need to make a pretty significant change. Do you mind? (laughs) Yeah. How
1: was that was re- received? How, uh, <laughs>
2: which is why now three years later, it's like low hanging fruit fodder for entertainment because he was like, "Who do you think you are?" And I thought, "Well," and he he actually said, "You don't know about what we do here." And this is something that I actually, when I do coaching and I do like you know present programs etc. in organizations to folks, um, I find this interesting. He was correct. I didn't know about the culture. In the organizational structure and how the ins and outs every day happened here at Maltrider Ministries. But I was like cheap free consultant labor on day one because I did know, I did know. And there are Mm -hmm. things that I think that so many folks in a leadership position or, you know, again, from a hierarchical structure, I I don't know that it exists as much today, but um, again, having a, a daughter in her mid twenties, I think there is some sense of, well, you haven't been here long enough to know. Therefore, how could you know really about anything? And, and so I'm trying to make that correlation and sort of debunk that a little bit. And again, it's not everywhere, but I, I do think it's more common than we still like to admit our human natures. Um, mm-hmm. our, or how could you, how dare you come in here and tell me what to do? I've been here for five years or 10 years or whatever. And I said to him, I don't, you're right. I don't know about this team quite yet. I haven't really even had lunch with them. Um, But I do know about software and I do know that this content management system situation and world from which I came really lends itself well to the CRM system that I'm looking at now because I used to do integrations with them. And I thought this thing is terrible. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no visibility. There's no insight or intuitiveness built into this. So of course your donor relations officers are going to struggle. You told me by your own admission, like they're not really necessarily bringing in the funds that we'd like to see at that. Well, does anybody really know? Do they know? Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, that wasn't really super well received, but I think you still like, I didn't didn't
1: actually get fired. Well, so you, you went out and you looked at a bunch of uh, different software, right? You looked at, I believe, Kindful, Salsa, Bloomerang, Razor's Edge, NXT, Donor Perfect, Virtuous. So, you know, the the usual suspects, a a lot of different options, right? Um, But it was on, it was kind of like, to your point, beyond just the software too, as you're looking at all this, you also realize that, you know, reorganizing the staff and just the processes, you know, was was kind of imperative and and based to the the whole process throughout this, right?
2: Oh, very much so. Yeah. And um we came from a black bod world. So Razor's Edge existed here for like I said about 17 years. And as you can imagine, I was a very difficult person to sell to because I was on the other side of the table for so many years of my life. And I took it very seriously. I loved sales and I loved mm-hmm. helping organizations and I just to me it mattered. I was very ethical in my practices. I was very much like the first person to say, oh, the solutions that you know we have are not going to help you. But here's here's something that might. So I was easily off put when I would work with folks that didn't have our best interest at mind. I'm also um usually an eight on the Enneagram. So I have a very social justice bent, like, hey, you know what? This doesn't seem very equitable to me. And also, um, good luck in trying to tell me that we're gonna spend more money if you act like I'm bothering you, because that's not a very trusted partnership and relationship. So you're right. We did look at all of those players and I uh, assembled a team internally, not the entire team, because I'm also a believer that you want key individuals looking at something, especially if you're going to make a change of this magnitude, but yet not too many voices, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. And nothing gets done. So, so collectively we looked and actually we liked Donor Perfect among all of those until we saw Virtuous. And then it was like all bets were immediately off. We went live, um, we started to look in April of 2020, and we went live July 1st of 2020. It was a very quick turnaround. We converted over 100,000 records, also a disparate database because we merged with a different ministry as well in the middle of COVID, because why not? (laughs) Sure. um, (laughs) That's a lot.
1: Wow, that's fast.
2: Yeah, but it was amazing. And everything came over as expected. I was actually prepping the team. I said, you know, guys, system conversions are sometimes painful, so don't freak out. If all of a sudden you think that we're missing data, I promise you it's somewhere, we'll find it. But really never had that issue, not once. Everything came over as expected. Virtuous Project managed it. I mean, just start to finish beautifully. We knew again, what to expect, what was going to happen. We turned, flipped the switch uh, July 1st. The second day we had 26 new donors because we had an email marketing tool and we had ways in which to communicate with our donors that did not exist before
1: nice nice um so you, you have like a welcome series set up uh and uh, end of year campaigns uh how else are you kind of using virtuous these days you know you you're on a now what uh about two and a half years
2: exactly yeah and we've continued the evolution um so it's just been great we have everything integrated um it allowed us as you mentioned to reorganize the entire department because also one Once the visibility was apparent, it sort of confirmed some of the uh, thoughts that we had about some folks on the team and just really like, are people in the right seat on the bus, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so instead of replacing folks one-to-one, we use Virtuous's tasks and workflow so deeply that we're pushing all of that work proactively to part-time folks through VPN and they're actually in contact. So every single donor now, every single one does not matter on the size of the donation um, is, is in contact in communication with somebody from our team in one way, shape or form. So we have, we use um, letters on demand inside of virtuous, which is an automated tool in the back end. So all of our email series are, yes, we have a welcome series, a lapsed donor series. We have a series for folks who join our monthly sustainer program called the community, which didn't exist pre-virtuous because again, we just didn't have um, we didn't think <laughs> That we had the capacity to do all the things we're doing today because we were not efficient we just weren't we were duplicating efforts we were i thought this copy machine it smells like the engine is going to blow up in any minute because everybody's copying everything for no reason <laughs> so <laughs> a lot a lot of redundancies and i mean we were six weeks behind in um getting receipts out for donations it was really pretty terrible and we just took a hard look and i said guys I, again you're right i haven't been here that long but i do know people and i do know that we should always feel a sense of just, I guess, the onus on us to show appreciation because we do, we can't do the work that we do without donors. We know this. It sounds so obvious to say, but when you're so close to it, it's like, well, we are also consumers and donors in the world. People solicit us as well. How do we want to be treated? If I send exactly. my money somewhere, do I want to wait six weeks to hear from an organization that may or may not remember me and that are sending me paper in the mail and I only ever donate through an EFT? No, I don't, that, that makes no sense to me.
1: So, yeah, you can automate a lot of processes using a system like Vir- Virtuous, right? And that gives you and the rest of the team more time to reach out individually and and have those individual one-on-one conversations with people as well.
2: Yeah, very much. We're, we're completely intentional. Are the portfolios that the, um call them gift advisors, that our gift advisors used to have were, I mean, some of them had over a thousand donors in them. That's not relationship. <laughs> That's just too much data <laughs> in one place. And and so we've been able to pare those down. So we also instituted an incentive program here uh, because again, I came from corporate. I came from, Hey, I'm a salaried and commissioned employee. Talk to me about why anybody sitting in these seats right now w- would want to do more if they're not wired that way. Right. I'm a, you know, if somebody is not just a go-getter and sort of nonstop mover and shaker, if you will, then what? why would they do anything other than go to the coffee machine?
1: <laughs> right. Right. right?
2: So it allowed us to actually uh, put an incentive-based program in place based on who's in their portfolio. So you're exactly right. Uh, we want our gift advisors to be in intentional relationship with either major donors or donors who, you know, it's, it, depending upon the rules and strategy we have in place. And everything else is going to be handled and is being handled in an automated fashion through Virtuous, through our, the implemented strategies. Yes.
1: Nice. So what's what's next for you in the organization? What's uh, What's the trends you're seeing?
2: Well, you know, in this space, you know, homelessness is a crisis across the country, affordable housing, truly affordable housing is um, what we are focused on right now. So happily, we received approval a few months back towards the end of um, 22 for the first tiny home community in Grand Rapids. So we are looking forward with that, very excited and grateful for that opportunity, Uh, workforce development. So what's so interesting is um, we also, in advancement, is development and communication, and I clearly love to talk, but I was ill prepared for when I came on board here, um, understanding the donor database in terms of the humanity behind the screen and the phone calls that would come and say, you know, what what do you do at Miltrotter? I'm like, well, first of all, we've been here for a hundred plus years, since 1900, 120 years. So how is it that anybody can't know? So marketing is very much a strategy around that, but it's really just educating and it's being, and again, an intentional relationship to say to people, when you hear affordable housing or lack thereof, people think, "Oh, well, let's just build more houses." Truly affordable housing is like 65% AMI, and so you know our folks really need to be at that level, and they need wraparound services. So people who have experienced homelessness for so many years of their life, in some cases, or in and out, etc., you know, you can't just say, "Here's a house. Good luck to you." It's mm-hmm. not here, right. So there are very intentional things that we're doing here as a mission on the program side of things. And just we exist to demonstrate compassion and to let our folks know, hey, you deserve dignity too. And yes, housing too. And yes, a sustainable job as well that's paying you a living wage. So we're very adamant and intentional about that messaging as it relates to being in communication with our donors as well. So it's an educational process too.
1: That's great. That's awesome. That's very, yeah, just a, a, terrific. It's it's gotta be very gratifying at the end of the day. Um, and, and as you're seeing these different projects, you know, ramping up and and making traction.
2: Very much so. Yeah. We just completed, um, uh, the renovations at the end of last year, right around Christmas time for a capital campaign that kicked off in 19. Uh, so the silent phase and then just came to fruition. Obviously we had to pause with COVID and inflation and supply chain and good, good times. Um, but, you know, realizing we could see that the big picture, which is we're really going to change the way that our mission services our guests. And so one story, I had a, a man who said, you know, now that you have changed the way that our rooms are, it used to be a 113 bed dorm for the men. Mm-hmm. It was just, again, not very dignified. And so he said, what can we do about this? So now it's dorm style rooms, two individuals in a room and then two on the other side and then they should have a shared bathroom and the men who are mostly working again most of the the single men in our mission are in fact employed um say things like wow i can rest now i can go for that promotion i before all i could think about every single day was don't be late to my job and then i was so exhausted i wasn't sleeping well so now with the way that we've just completely revamped the physical building it's really revamping um you know internal lives as well
1: that's awesome that's great well, oh, good for you, and good good for the organization, and and uh, yeah, they're lucky to have you there. Um, so, any final thoughts? Um, you shared a lot of great advice and tips. Uh, so, anybody joining an organization and looking to to look at new technology, you know, any final thoughts as we wrap up here today?
2: Yeah, I would just say don't make it an afterthought. I, I think oftentimes in the nonprofit space, and I will say this as somebody who was on the for-profit side for so many years, the thought was. That I would not call on nonprofits, right? Because they didn't have as much money to spend, they didn't have mm-hmm. the budget, they didn't they didn't move as quickly. All those, you know, sort of stereotypes. But to be honest, they existed for a reason. And what I would say is, do not make technology an afterthought. Don't say, "Well, it's it's worked this long; it'll keep working." No, <laughs> it changes the game when you've got the right framework in place and the right strategy behind it and the right people doing the good work. It's, it's incredible what that does downstream to really change people's lives.
1: Yeah, well said. Inertia can definitely be your biggest enemy when it comes to nonprofit technology. So, well, thank you so much, Beth, for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate your your thoughts and, and uh, yeah, well done on all the work you're doing there.
0: Thank you very much, Mark.
1: All right, have a great day, everyone.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of The Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of The Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.